Hello again, and, and welcome to this seventh Bible study in which we're trying to find what the Bible says about the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we come today to the subject of Armageddon. And you might be thinking to yourself, whoa, because there's so much cultural rubbish which attaches to the name of Armageddon. As you know, we're treating the book of Revelation as a symbolic book. We believe that when John wrote it, he knew what he was writing about. And when those early Christians read it for the first time, around about the year AD 95, they understood it, at least to some degree. It wasn't entirely obscure to them what he was writing about. So for us to understand this book, we have to take off our, 20 our 21st century hats and we have to put on our first century hats. For example, in this book, Jesus is usually called a lamb about 30 times, far more times than he is called Jesus. And the devil is called a dragon. So let me read to you from Revelation chapter 12. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient snake called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. We read here that the evil one has been thrown out of heaven. So the question arises as to when did this take place? And there are three views. The first view is that the devil was ejected from heaven before the creation of the earth and the universe and the world, which is why he was able to incarnate himself as a serpent in the garden and tempt the first humans. Another view is that the devil will be thrown out of heaven at some point in the future when Jesus returns 
and Jesus' victory is seen to be complete. But a third view, and the view that I embrace, is that Jesus ensured the destruction and the defeat of the devil at the first Easter. That it was at the cross and the resurrection that the devil was thrown out of heaven. Let me read to you from Colossians chapter 2. God forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Easter marks the ultimate triumph and victory of Jesus Christ. But it's not quite the end of all the battles. It's a battle won, but still there is a war to finish. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 12, it said, Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. Defeated and rejected through cross and resurrection, but then at the coming of Christ... Well, he knows his time is short. And there's going to be one ultimate battle when he will be destroyed. It's rather like D-Day during the Second World War. On the 6th of June, 1944, Allied troops left the south coast of England to land in France. That was a critical battle. The Allies could not defeat the Nazis without landing in Europe. And they had to land in France and create a beachhead. If they managed it, then the end of Hitler and his Nazis was secure. It would still take her a year, but effectively the Battle of D-Day, the invasion of the Normandy beaches, would secure ultimate victory. And it did. And Berlin fell uh, the following year, within a year. Or, or take a game of chess where you have a chess master, and the chess master might make a, a decisive move, but his opponent doesn't realise that that decisive move has been made. And the game may go on for a while, but there's no way back for that opponent. The decisive move has been made. Ultimately, that opponent will be checkmated. So it is with the cross, the resurrection. Jesus has defeated the devil. He's been thrown out of heaven. The devil now knows that his time is short, but there will come an ultimate battle when he will be destroyed. Now, as we've said, in this book, the usual symbol for Jesus is a lamb, and that for the devil is a dragon. We've also seen in earlier weeks that the dragon has an antichrist, a man of lawlessness, or beasts, who are his servants. I like the uh, message version, which translates the man of lawlessness as being the anarchist. The, I called him the outlaw. And the book of Revelation describes this figure as being two beasts, one ferocious, a leopard, and the other who looks like a lamb, but when he opens his voice, sounds like the devil. Well, this man of lawlessness, this anarchist, these creatures, they, they, they hate God, they hate worship, they hate Jesus, they hate the gospel. 
And we read about them in chapter 13 of this book of Revelation. Terrifying monsters, powerful, intelligent, who hate God and who love the dragon. And it's their determination that everyone will worship the dragon. And as we've seen, the beast demanded full control all over every tribe, language, people and nation. And he wanted to control everybody, everything people think and what they do. And every dictatorship since, from the time of Nero and Domitian onwards, who have demanded total control over the people of their land, have been antichrists. People who want to control what we think, what we do, who we worship, whom we obey. Ah, oh, we must only obey the, the, the glorious leader. Anybody who resists that law will be subject to death. They want to be worshipped, honoured, loved, adored, obeyed. They want to abolish the church, the gospel, Jesus, God. Satan is to be king of kings and lord of lords. Satan is to rule over everyone everywhere. Satan is to control the app for everything. It is Satan who is to be all in all. And so Satan gathers every evil spirit he can find and the beasts and every political leader whom he can recruit for one final push against God. We've already come across this in 2 Thessalonians where we read about the rebellion taking place when all restraints upon the Antichrist are removed and the great rebellion occurs. Well, let's read then in chapter 16 of Revelation about the battle of Armageddon. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. We'll come to what happened at Armageddon a little later. But here we have the muster. Here we have the evil one gathering his forces for this final attack against God at the hill of Megiddo, which is an Old Testament battle site, a place where in Old Testament days the enemies of God would gather to defeat the Israelites. John isn't very interested in the place. He's much more interested in the event. There is going to be one great cataclysmic event when the evil one seeks to overthrow the power of God. Now, almost certainly, this battle is also described, although not by name, in Revelation chapter 19. Here we have Jesus mustering his side for the battle. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows, but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. 
The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is mustering his troops for this great battle. We've met this rider on the white horse before in chapter 6, where we read that Jesus had a bow and a crown and rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. The Gospel Age, the church going out into all the world and preaching the Gospel and making disciples of all nations from every tribe, language, nation and people. And here we have Jesus described as being faithful, true, the Word of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He has blazing eyes, many crowns, a robe with his own atoning blood staining that robe and a sharp sword going to make war with justice. So we have these two armies mustering for battle. What actually happens during this battle? And this, I think, is what is going to shock you, and it certainly shocked me when I started burying my thoughts into this teaching. The answer is almost nothing. It is such a complete rout that the battle itself isn't described. There is no actual battle of Armageddon because Jesus just deals with his enemies. Do you remember Paul in chapter 2 of Thessalonians said, the man of lawlessness, the anarchist, is doomed to destruction. The Lord Jesus will overthrow him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendour of his coming. Jesus just needs to breathe and these enemies are destroyed. He just needs to appear in glory and the enemies are eliminated. Well, I read to you from chapter 16, which described Satan's muster. Let me now read to you from verse 17, chapter 16, verse 17, which describes the aftermath of the battle. It had just said, this place is called Armageddon, and then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about 40 kilograms, fell on people and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. It is done. Does that not remind you of the words of Christ on the cross? It is finished when he played that final chess move which eliminated the power of the devil. Like that battle of Normandy which was decisive in that war. It is finished. Now he says it is done. And there's lightning and rumblings and thunder and earthquake and the city is split. The city is the headquarters of the evil one. Babylon, Rome, the headquarters of evil in John's day. 
The devil's headquarters is destroyed, and so are God's enemies. Chapter 17, verse 14 says, They will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them, because he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Let's turn to chapter 19 then. I read to you how Jesus mustered his armies, but I didn't read to you what happened next. I will now, verse 17. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulphur. The rest were killed with a sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on the flesh. In the year 95, people knew that battles were followed by the decimation of the casualties. Vultures and birds of prey would gorge themselves on human corpses. And here we read that all the dragon's followers are defeated. The beast is captured. The false prophet, the second beast, is also captured and they're both thrown into the lake of burning sulphur. And in verse 21, all the politicians and others who'd fought for the dragon were killed by Jesus and thrown into the fire. Do you remember Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats? He said to some people, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, the eternal fire wasn't initially prepared for humans at all, but for the evil one and his followers. Armageddon spiritually is the final attack of anti-God powers against Christ. And Christ's victory is complete. It's the final confrontation between God and Satan, between Jesus and the dragon, between the rider on the white horse and the two beasts. And the battle fizzles out and comes to nothing because Jesus is entirely victorious. As Paul said, the Lord Jesus will overthrow the man of lawlessness with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendour of his coming. Revelation 16, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne. It is done. It's finished. It's accomplished. The supreme and final battle has taken place and Jesus is victorious. And then in chapter 19, the beast and the earthly kings and their armies and the false prophets, they're all captured and thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulphur and all the armies are killed by the words of God coming out of the mouth of Jesus. The victory of Jesus is total, complete and comprehensive. And nearly all of God's enemies are now in the local lake of fire, the place of eternal destruction. But what about the dragon? What about the devil himself? What about Satan? He doesn't seem to be there yet. And so we come to another description of Armageddon. 
You might call it Armageddon 2.0 or Armageddon Mark 2 in chapter 20 and verse 7. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulphur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This seems to be the third description of the battle of Armageddon, and it seems to come after the thousand-year period when Satan makes one final attempt to deceive the nations supported by Gog and Magog. They muster together for battle. Now Gog and Magog are described to us in Ezekiel chapter 38. Those of you at Derby City Church will remember how recently Pastor has been explained to us what happened between the close of the Old Testament and the opening of the New, between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew. 400 years when apparently little happened, but this happened. Ezekiel said that during that period between the Testaments, there will be great battles between the people of God and their enemies, and their enemies were represented by Gog and Magog. Gog is the field marshal, or the king, or the leader, and Magog is the land, or, or, or the armies from the land, who are recruited by the field marshal and fight on behalf of Gog. Israel would be under attack again between Old Testament and New Testament days. And it's all going to happen again. In the last days, there'll be a similar battle. And Gog will be defeated, killed. In chapter 20, verse 6 to 10, we read how fire comes down from heaven. God's enemies are devoured. The devil is thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. The two beasts are already there and they are tormented, tormented there forever and forever. Again, the battle isn't described, just the victory of Jesus. All the forces of evil, the devil, the antichrist, the man of lawlessness, the beast from the sea and the beast from the land, they're all now being penalised in the lake of fire. They gather to overthrow Jesus and the gospel and to fight against the kingdom of God, and they have been comprehensively routed there is complete victory over all Antichrist powers. Evil powers are defeated comprehensively. The victory of Jesus is total and eternal. These battles of Armageddon were one last throw of the dice by the devil and Jesus just blows them away into the fiery lake. A lamb fights a dragon and the lamb wins. The beast and the false prophet and the devil are now in the fire. But chapter 20, verse 15 says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire as well. And here we come to a very solemn teaching, which nobody enjoys sharing. The fact that those who are not saved, those whose who are on the side of the evil one, either directly or indirectly, consciously or unconsciously, 
they also are eternally penalised by God. And so we should never read these things without pausing and being solemn and speaking to God in prayer. Let us pray. Father and Lord, we have heard this morning exciting things about the victory of Christ and how Jesus says it is done and the evil one and all his lieutenants are dealt with in the lake of fire. But we also read that others who have followed them are also penalised in the lake of fire. And Father, these are solemn thoughts and we pray that these solemn thoughts will promote us to be more careful in how we live and to build the kingdom of God and to do everything we can to extend the kingdom of Jesus. Meanwhile, we give you thanks that by your grace, our names are to be found in the Lamb's book of life. T'was grace that wrote my name in life's eternal book. T'was grace that gave me to the Lamb and all my sorrows took. Saved by grace alone, this is all my plea. Jesus died for all mankind and Jesus died for me. Amen. Thank you for listening.